official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here's your host, Glenn Naughton. Good evening, Jet fans. I am Glenn Naughton, joined by my co-host Alex Morallo for Jet Nation Radio. Appreciate you tuning in. Plenty to cover tonight. Alex, how are you doing? Doing well, Glenn. Good evening, Jet Nation. Uh, let's uh, right off the bat. Let's let's thank our sponsor, Mile Social. Mile Social. They will help you run your business with social media websites and SEOs. Check them out at milesocial.com. If you're running a small business and you have too many hats to wear, Mile Social can take care of the social media side of the house. So uh, give them a look, milesocial, M-I-L-E, social.com. So plenty to discuss. Uh, for those of you who tuned in last week or a few days ago, uh, I was able to get Dennis Wozniak on here from the AP. Unfortunately, Alex had a prior engagement, and the, the show with Dennis was sort of an impromptu last-second thing. So Sorry you couldn't join us for that, Alex, but here we are. Uh, let, let's get your thoughts. The Let's see, the Mike McCagnan firing, the Darren Lee trade, and, of course, Adam Gase, the man who just wants to coach and doesn't want to have anything to do with personnel, uh, is trading players, releasing players, restructuring the scouting department, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, unless – I mean, you're supposedly looking to bring in a new GM. Um, why not just let the scouts who are in place remain in place for a couple weeks, hopefully only a couple weeks, so you bring that GM in and let the GM put his staff together. Uh, so for a guy who doesn't want to do anything but coach, Adam Gay sure is doing a lot of things other than coaching. So so share your thoughts real quick, Alex, and we'll just kind of go back and forth and and discuss all these situations and how they've unfolded and where the, where at least the Jets today. Yes, yeah, so I'll start with the Darren Lee um, trade. Uh, obviously, if you guys uh, have been following the last few shows, uh, Glenn and I have gone back and forth saying how we've understood, you know, why this team would want to move on for a player that maybe has not met the expectations, uh, a player that has been a little bit of a character off the field, that kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit about how serious is he about being a professional. Uh, we, we talked about, you know, his upside and, and his ability and coverage. So there was a lot of talent with Darren Lee. And unfortunately, you know, not every draft pick is, is going to come to fruition. There was uh, a lot of people that were against uh, the Darren Lee pick and selection, so I guess there's a, a portion of the fan base that's happy that we've moved on from him, whereas people like myself were kind of hoping that, you know, he would be able to hit his ceiling and be be a, a stud first-round linebacker like we had wanted him to be. So it's unfortunate that we only got a sixth-rounder for him, but, you know, according to the media and what had come out after that, Mike McCagnan held him in a higher regard, obviously, because he drafted him first round and was looking to get better compensation. And I guess when you look at it, did you want to get a compensatory pick 
in 2021 after he plays a full you know season in a backup role here and then maybe get signed to a big contract elsewhere you're probably looking at that down the, the line and saying this is you know a win now league if you have an offer on the table you got to make a move and i respect that you know they went out and they got a deal done uh, it's not a great pick we do have an extra pick rolling into 2020 and who knows you know if we're going to pair that up with something else and maybe move up in the draft uh, you know, I wish Darren Lee luck, and uh, you know, hopefully things work out better for him in the future. And, and now, just moving forward, we're just going to have to work with the guys that we have. Fortunately, we have C.J. Mosley, which is a, a definite upgrade at the position. So he, we got to go with our new field general and support him and, and support the, the decision of them cutting ties with Darren Lee. Yeah, I think the Darren Lee thing – as you touched on, we said, you know, whether he stayed or whether he went was fine. I, the only issue I would have with it was that if he was going to go and you've got him on the roster now, why not just let him hang around and try to get something more from the team, um, you know, in terms of better compensation? I think I think his comp pick would have definitely, definitely, even if Greg Williams could have gotten him to have a decent season as a role player, he probably would have gotten a decent contract elsewhere and the 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 top secret comp pick formula which only a handful of people on the planet know um no one knows it for sure but i do know it takes into account original draft slots um and as well as uh the con the value of the contract that you sign with the team when you leave as a free agent and as a first rounder with a decent contract it had, you know, of course, that part is hypothetical, but not out of the question, especially when you see the, the money that's given, that gets handed out in free agency. I think a, a fourth or fifth round pick would have been realistic. I was surprised, and I said this at the time as well, when people kept saying, you know, what's Darren Lee's trade value? What's his market value? I kept saying, you're probably looking at a fourth or a fifth, realistically, a fifth that can become a fourth based on incentives. Um, or, you know, pre, predetermined, uh, you know, whether it's playing time, starts, whatever it may be. And I just saw something a few minutes ago, um, and I, I, I'll see if I can grab it and get the quote, but it was uh, one insider saying they, that shocked them, that it was just for a straight-up sixth rounder, that it wasn't that type of situation where the Jets say it's a six, and if he plays in 65% of your snaps, it becomes a fifth, something like that. But it appears the Jets did not do that. It was not conditional anyway, as far as we know. So it's Darren Lee for a six. Uh, he officially is a bust uh, for Mike McCagden, one of his only first-round bust, but many obviously mid- and late-round uh, poor picks from McCagden. But, uh, you know, McCagden's gone. You know, as I said, I'm, you know, I was a fan. I supported him. You know, being a fan of someone and supporting them is not – is not to say that they are perfect and they are, you know, without flaw. And, you know, this is what happens with people nowadays. Everyone's so damn polarized about everything, whether it's politics, religion, sports, you know, any endorsement of anything at all whatsoever to any degree is then construed into you are 100% loyal to this person and, 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 you know, you will not criticize them. Not the case at all. Uh, within two seconds of fi- finding out about the McCagnan firing, I don't know how you felt, Alex. I was initially, I was, I was shocked, and as many because the timing was the most shocking thing. Um, 
I don't know how you felt about it initially, but but here's my thing, Alex, and and tell me tell me your opinion. Um, my my opinion is that it's the GM's job to put a competitive team on the field, and obviously the Jets have not been that for the last couple of years. But you got to build a roster. You got to put a roster together. They tore it down a couple of years ago. We you know we all know that all the stories. But it, it's almost like and and I you know maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think it's probably indicative of of people, you know, an individual's approach to, to everything, your outlook on life in general. Like, I can be upset about the Chad Hansen pick not working out and our Darius Stewart and and Lorenzo Malvin, or I can just look at the roster as a whole and say, what do we have? Because everybody misses. Everybody signs bad free agents. Everybody drafts bad players. John Isaac drafted bad players. Problem was, he didn't draft any good ones. He had 19 picks with the Jets. Two or three of them turned out to be good players. The guy went like three for 19. Okay, so everyone's going to have their misses. But here's the funny thing. And and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I put that poll up on, on Twitter. 87% of Jets fans said that if the coaching does their job this year, this is a playoff team. And Dennis Wozniak brought it up last week. Or the other day, he said, you just fired Mike McCagnin. What happens if they go out and win 10, 11 games? I mean, that, that, that's a high, you know, I don't think 9 or 10 is out of the question. 11, 12 may be pushing it. Well, that is pushing it. But I look at the product as it is right now. I look at what the team was, where they were sitting three years ago when they tore it all down. And I look at it now. And I see a franchise QB. I see a top three running back. I see three or four different receivers who can get open and make plays. I see a tight end who looked like one of the best young tight ends in the NFL last year. I see a defensive interior that's going to be able to bring pressure up the middle without having the blitz with Leonard and Quinn and Williams. I see two damn good inside linebackers. See a potential. I mean, what's going to happen with your guy polite? We don't know. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with any of these guys. But he is a first-round talent. I see a safety tandem that might be the best the team is in their history. When all is said and done, if Marcus May can stay healthy, Jamal Adams and Marcus May might be the best tandem this team has ever had. So I look at that talent. I look at the linebackers. I look at the edge with Polite. I look at Leo and Quinnen up front with Henry Anderson, by the way, who they got for a seventh. I look at Sam Darnold. I look at Le'Veon Bell. I look at an all-pro left guard. I look at one of the best deep threats in the league in Robbie Anderson. And I think this is a pretty good team. This team... Again, if the coaching is good enough, there's no reason this team shouldn't be playing meaningful football in December. And it, it all comes down to expectations, Alex. People who are, who are trashing this team, you know, and I brought this up with Dennis, so I hate to mention it again, but, you know, oh, the record under McCagnan is this and this. Listen, there was a tank year. Like, do people forget that two years ago the goal – of course, not publicly stated because it doesn't work that way. But the goal was to lose as many games as possible in order to get a franchise quarterback. Like, the games were being lost on purpose. And then you go into that next year with arguably the worst head coach in the NFL, coaching a rookie quarterback. And my question is, under those circumstances, not just the Jets, if it was any team, if I said, look, Team X is going to tank this season, they're trying to get a top three pick. I mean, really, they're trying to get the number one pick. 
but ideally they want to be in the top three this year. So they're going to construct a pretty bad roster with a journeyman quarterback. And then the next year, they're going to keep the same coach who is terrible, and he's going to be coaching that rookie quarterback. What, how many wins would you, would you say to me, yeah, that sounds like uh, 24 wins over those two seasons? No. Then you're going to say, okay, well, I hope you're ready for, you know, five or six wins over the course of two years. That should be the expectation. I don't know how the expectation would be any different. But for some people, apparently it was. Um, they're looking at a tank year and a, and a bad coach with a rookie quarterback as, uh, as proof that the talent wasn't good. Again, the talent wasn't great. It was better than the record. But I look at it out. So, so those, those, are my, those are my two questions to you, Alex. Do you look at it as do you lose sleep over the missed talent, the, the missed picks? Or do you look at the, the 53-man roster as we would project it and compare it to what it was when they tore it all down and say, okay, this thing is on track. This is a, this team could contend a playoff spot. And, and and what would the realistic expectations be for a team that's tanking and then going year one with a rookie and a terrible head coach? Yeah, you know, when you look at the scenario of, of what happened when they first started in 2015, I don't think that they were anticipating to have as successful as a year as they did because this was a roster that did not have a lot of talent on it. There was a little bit of a free agent uh, frenzy spree. And let's just be honest, no one anticipated our quarterback was going to get his jaw broken. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to do the things that he did. And yes, there was obvious. We knew what was going, uh, going to happen with Brandon Marshall because he was a, a great talent, even though he was near the back end of his career. I think that kind of derailed the whole setup of, of going into the tank role uh, in 2016 because they thought that they had a competitive roster with just a handful of moves that they made. So looking at what they should have done back in 2016 and, and, and everything was indicating that we were not managing games well, we were making questionable uh, roster moves and free agent moves, and Mike McCagnan was giving big money to older players that weren't producing with their contracts. And we all know the names. You know, one of them, Revis, was on his downslope. You know, Marshall was declined heavily his 2016 year. We all know about Mo Wilkerson. You know, these are the little decisions I think that you could just tally up and say, okay that was not a good move. This was not a good move. We can go down the line. And and we could also go, you know, and, and I'll start with the good things, just like you said, a good young quarterback, a, a, a Pro Bowl safety, a Pro Bowl running back, Pro Bowl linebacker, Pro Bowl left guard added this year. It almost looks like he just started to figure out how to be GM this year, but you've made too many mistakes. Your Your record and what you had was not producing at the level that the fans were expecting, that even the organization was expecting. I feel that, you know, there's no good time to make a fire. So if it was, you know, I, when we talked last 2018 uh, in November, December, I was saying I don't think one should go and not the other. If you're going to make a firing, you fire them both. I still stand to that. They didn't do that. They decided to hold on to Mike. They decided to let him do his thing. They decided to let him spend money and, and, and 
take the risk of doing another draft class with him because there's definitely plenty of history shown that there's a lot of misses throughout 2015 all the way up to 2017. He's just made poor decision after poor decision. You know, Dylan Donahue, that, that looked really bad. The, the wide receivers back-to-back with Hanson and Stewart, that was really bad. You, you just can go up and down the roster and, and, and pick situations, pick players, and pinpoint them and say, not good, not good, not good. And he did do some good things. And I believe that if this team is going to be successful this year, it is 100% you know, what he has done in the offseason and what he did in, within the last two drafts. It will all be on Mike McCagden's blueprint, even though he won't get credit for it, even though we won't mention his name much after September rolls week one. But the truth is, is that this, was, this is his roster, and the new GM will be coming in and absorbing uh, his, his lineup. So that'll be interesting to see what the new guy depends on doing with this. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect a lot of crazy moves. I don't think you would get a lot of support from the fan base if you start dissecting this roster, bringing in your own guys mid-season or early in the season. That would continue that dysfunctional talk that we keep seeing. But uh, I lost my train of thought with your question after my rant. But, um, you know, did I feel that we're on the right path with this rebuild? I do. Uh, You blew it up in back 2017, and we figured out how to shore up the back end of the defense. We've brought in some guys that, that look pretty promising at this point in time. And now we've had our big free agent spending and we've had a, a pretty decent draft on everything looks good on paper. It always looks good on paper. And we won't know until September rolls around if everything that has been done is going to work out. But as of right now, we are, I feel that this team is a way better position than they were a year ago. Yes, there are still holes on that offensive line that concern me. And there's uh, the cornerback position to me, is is not as strong as I feel that it should be because this is a passing league. We have Tom Brady in our division. This is a guy that just is notorious for just shredding any defense apart, not just the Jets. And, yes, we've addressed the pass rush situation, but we know that when you have veteran quarterbacks that know how to get rid of the ball quickly and diagnose plays fast, they can negate the pass rush, and they will expose your weakness in your def- in your secondary. So there are some still holes that I feel that the GM or Adam Gates will have to address before September rolls around. But I do feel that from when we started the rebuild and, and getting the quarterback, getting some offensive weapons, keeping the defense looking – young and talented, I do feel that we've been on the right path thus far. And and I'll say it again, there is no good timing when it comes down to firing anyone in in life, in in football, in sports. It always looks bad on the organization when you have to make a firing because it says, we trusted somebody, it didn't work out, now we have to own up to it. And 
you know, one thing that I, I, I think I tweeted not too long ago is that relevant wins, kind of feeling Le'Veon Bell's line, relevant wins in December and a above 500 record after the first eight weeks of the year will make the past two weeks a laughable situation and just another day as a Jets fan. That's how I kind of see it in my mind. Uh, I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Glenn. I don't know if I answered all your questions there, but uh, we're well, actually, actually, uh, you, you did you did say something that, that piqued my interest because I, I was going to touch on this at some point during the show, um, saying that you know there would no there you didn't think there would be any big you know any any splashy crazy moves, but I'm I'm not a hundred percent sold on that. You know, you said that, it, that you know the fan base wouldn't tolerate it. I don't think Adam. Yeah, I don't think any NFL head coach gives a damn what the fans think. And I don't think they should because we're too emotional. We would cut fire trade everybody after every loss. Um, so I don't, th- I don't think the coaches should care, but Adam Gase like seems to have that, that extra take it to that next level of don't care. Um, it, it, I don't know if I, if I'm, if I'm saying that right, I, I just don't think it would even, I don't think taking the time to consider the fact that he doesn't care wouldn't even occur to him. Um, so when it comes to whether or not he would make any splashy moves and how the fans would feel about it, that wouldn't register. Uh, what I do wonder is would he – I mean, we, we saw – I forget who it was. U Stadium uh, retweeted somebody's – it may have been Manish. I, I forget now. Um, but but e- even without this story, without this rumor, uh, it was still a, th- a thought I was having prior to uh, to seeing it. But that, you know, a trade of Leonard Williams, you know, isn't uh, isn't out of the question. And somebody tweeted out that the Jets were making calls to teams to let them know that Jordan Jenkins and Brandon Shell were available and a couple of other names. And while part of me thinks that's nuts, and I, I do, it wasn't a legitimate source. I forget who it was. Um, but it, it made the rounds. And it was getting retweeted like crazy. Um, you know, people reacting. to that's, that's the crazy part to me when people flip out. Um, not when something happens, but when something reportedly might happen and it's being reported by somebody who has a Twitter account, basically, like doesn't work for anyone, just a guy, you know. Um, but anyway, but that doesn't change the fact that I could see Adam Gase. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if this guy made a few more trades while this GM, you know, while the search for a GM is on. And Leonard Williams is a guy who's due $14 million, and he's only got one year left on his deal. And you would have to imagine if a head coach goes to the owner and forces him, you know, or, you know, basically pulls a power play, excuse me, and convinces him that the GM doesn't belong here and he's not good enough to do his job, um, he wouldn't really want to keep many of his, as, as many big-name players around um, who, are, who are due to have an expiring contract with a huge salary. So, I mean, you kind of answered it by saying you don't see any big moves, but would a a deal involving Leonard Williams or really just about any of Mike McCagnon's players who, who, you know, who, whose contracts don't make it cost prohibitive. um, Do you think that if you're Leonard Williams, do you feel a hundred percent safe right now? Or are you looking at what's going on in Florham Park and thinking, this new guy has no loyalty to me, and he's he's clearly enjoying being in the GM chair and making personnel moves? You know, going back and thinking of 
when this conversation had started. And what was interesting is that someone tried to create this narrative that Leonard Williams was being lazy on the field. And it's, it's very interesting, and I think it's subjective because the video that was being shown is from a particular angle in which you cannot physically see the depth and distance between Josh Allen's scramble on that touchdown and where I Leonard saw. Williams I know exactly was. what tweet you're talking about. I saw that, and, they, and, and, and it was like really 22. He's over and 12 yards away from it. Yeah, yeah, he's and he, he's, he's a big he's guy. 10, 12 yards away from the play. And uh, his team is 4-11 and 11 and in a meaningless game. And how dare he not try to chase the quarterback down from 20 yards away? Because, God forbid, the other 10 guys on the defense do their job too, right? Because yeah, now exactly. Now we're, we're, we're taking fall. a team sport and we're, we're labeling an individual on, on being lazy, which I think is just completely lame. And I think that, you know, the, once that started and – we know how the media is and we, we know how the world is today. Juicy content, stuff that gets people a little uneasy or, you know, get a little hot under the collar. That's juicy content. Let's run with it. Let's get it out there. Let's get people's reactions. Let's get the click. I'm not about that, to be quite honest with you. I, I just think that that's just, a, again, a lame way in order to draw attention to oneself. But well, again, really, you know, not, not, they haven't done not, anything. Not to interrupt you there, but uh, the funny thing is, or it's not funny, but, you know, as I was saying a few minutes ago, kind of your people's overall approach, like, there are a lot of people who just, they, they feed off of negativity, and they see, you know, they, they call themselves Jets fans, and they can't like or retweet enough negative Jet stuff that, that pops up on the internet. I remember last year, um, when Kelvin Beecham got beat for a sack, and I can't remember who it was. I think it was... um. Who was it? Somebody from Jacksonville. It's like a. It was a great move too. I mean, basically, you took a, a pick a shot of Kelvin Beecham getting beat for a sack, and like the retweets and the comments and like, I'm like, he got beat for a sack. It ha- what's the big deal? It's right. You know, he's not. Uh, he's not. What's his name? Who was that? Wayne Hunter out there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Kelvin mm-hmm. Beecham's a solid player. He's going to give up a sack from time to time. But Jets fans, like, were reveling in it. Oh, look, I, I said the O-line was going to suck, and here's the proof. Beecham gave up a sack. And it's like, right. listen, like, there, yeah, so I didn't mean to cut you off, but like I said, there really is something to that. Like, the more negative you are, the more you feed into it, I think the more likes, retweets, like, they're miserable people who enjoy that stuff. And, and that's it. You know, everyone has their brand. Everyone has their angle of, of how they make themselves stand out in, in this NFL world, in this social media world, and, and everybody's got to play their hand and play that card. Even if you, that doesn't represent who you are behind the scenes, there's an understanding that that's, appe- that's appealing to a, a particular crowd. And, and just going over the past two weeks, you can see the reactions from people and and you know what I understand it if your way of processing things is going out and just ripping somebody you know just because you've got to get that off your chest I get that completely but let's have an understanding right now when when Gase was hired there was majority of the fan base that was against this move they 
hated the move. Nobody supported it. There was a, some people that supported it, but they were more quiet than the people that were, you know, at shouting level for se. Then he has this the the breakfast interview, which I, I hear is like this really really grueling process where they have to sit for three hours. They don't even get to eat, and they just answer question after question after question. And people saw a little media clips talking about Gase's mind, about his X's and O's and how his philosophy is and how excited he was to work with a young quarterback because he hasn't had that opportunity since he's coming to the league. You could hear the, the energy and the drive in him and how he was talking about how are you going to defend against us? We have Le'Veon Bell now. Are you going to play man or are you going to play zone? If I move him out as a receiver, are you going to expose yourself and move your linebacker out and give me one-on-one? with a linebacker and a running back, because we'll play that game all day long. And if you're going to play zone, then I'm going to run option routes with my wide receivers, and I'm going to carve you up in between the scenes. And, and that, that window between the linebackers and the safeties, where, play, where players like Crowder and Inunwa, I feel, are going to thrive this year against zone coverage. And then people started getting on board and saying, you know what? We've had some poor offensive coordinators in here. We've had some football minds that were not very aggressive and were passive and emotionless. I remember people calling Todd Bowles zombie Bowles because he just was very blah, blah, you know, in his, in his press conferences. Now we finally have a fiery coach, an offensive-minded guy, someone that's excited to work with Sam Darnold and, and make this kid – you know, reach for the stars. And if you want to be upset, be upset at the ownership for being lax about their decisiveness. Yes, we can be critical about our GM's decisiveness for maybe not pulling the trigger on trades in, in April on draft day, or, you know, maybe the egg on the face that they got after the Anthony Barr situation was the final nail in the coffin that made the Johnson say, you know what? We're tired of, of seeing repetitive stuff in the news because we got hosed by Kirk Cousins in Minnesota last year, and here we are again in free agency being the mockery of the league because Anthony Barkley, he got nauseous after he agreed to terms you know, verbally. That is not a good look for the organization. It's not a good look on the GM, and it's not a good look on the Johnsons for being so lax and, and not making the right decisions for, for the, to benefit this team. And that's where I would you know, direct my attention to, is that it took you guys way too long to realize that you had a problem in your operation, and you sat on it, and then you made a move finally, but you kind of did it in a very weird way. Now, this isn't the first time that it's been done. Other teams have done this before, believe it or not. So this SOJ, same old Jets. I'm not. I'm not buying it. You know, people want to go out there and put that out and and represent themselves with that rhetoric. That's their choice. I'm not feeding into it. I'm not reading that stuff. And if you choose to torture yourself with that, then that's your own fault. But you know, and and now I'm going back to Leonard Williams here and looking at the situation. It would seem a little unhinged to get rid of a player of that talent because this isn't a roster, or at least prior to this offseason and draft, this is not a roster that you could say, oh, well, we can just, 
you know, let Robbie Anderson walk if somebody decided to pick up his RFA contract. We could let Leonard Williams walk, and people were saying that we could replace his talent with a second, third, or fourth round pick. Tell me who. Who do you got in mind that's better than what Leonard Williams can do? How do you know what Leonard Williams can do at this point? Well, I remember when he had Sheldon Richardson, Damon Harrison, and Muhammad Wilkerson on that front line, he thrived as a rookie because he had quality talent around him. And over the last two years, it's definitely been evident that we have not put enough talent around Leonard Williams and some other players to, to have them reach their ceiling because we haven't addressed the edge position in years. Hopefully, Ja'Kai Polite's the one. We haven't brought in Supreme Talent opposite side of Leonard Williams. Hey, I'll say this. We did get a good one with Henry Anderson. Tip my cap on that one. But it took us a few years to find a countermate that can line up opposite side of him and produce. We tried Tony Ely. That didn't work. We don't know what yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Shepard. I don't understand the, the, what we hear, Alex. You, you make a good point there. The number of times I hear people say, you know, when you say, uh, oh, you, you're going to let this guy go. How are you going to replace him? And they just go, draft somebody. Like, oh, somebody. oh, oh, is that all? Look, why did I think of that? Is let everybody go. They just draft somebody. And by doing so, you automatically get a similar or even better player. There's no, like GMs hit on 50% of their picks. The best GMs hit on 50% of their picks. And, and that doesn't even mean that they hit on got you know, hit doesn't necessarily mean he's as good as the, the guy he replaced. Just means he, he, he stays in the league and starts for a while. And I, I'm getting all the time with Robbie, like <laughs> Robbie Anderson. Like, you know, for, for me, as, a, as someone who's been watching this team since the late eighties, the deep threats, there have not been many Wesley Walker, Santana Moss, Robbie Anderson. And really, Moss, I, I would have to go back and watch, not that I have the time to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go off memory here and say Moss was more of a catch-and-run guy. I don't remember Moss scoring, you know, six, seven, eight touchdowns where he just blew past the defender and hauled in a deep ball and nobody could catch up with him. And, I could, uh, again, I could be wrong. And even if, even if, even if they were on par, okay, so this team averages – a good deep threat, one good deep threat every 10 years, roughly. Walker, and, and now that Moss was around for 10 years, he was only around for a couple. But so every 10 years, this team finds a good deep threat, and people just say, oh, let Robbie Walker just draft somebody. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Why did I think of that? It, it's, it's so, everyone think not everyone, but too many people think that the NFL is like Madden. That a GM just looks How's at John Ross board? doing in Cincinnati? He's the exactly. fastest man on the planet, isn't he? Exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at my draft board. Uh, someone do me a favor. Someone click on speed. Yes. Yeah. Arrange it by the fastest guy. Okay. Take him. He's gonna replace Robbie Anderson. We're good. Who's next? What's the next? You know what? It 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 doesn't work right. that way. When you have a proven commodity, you make an effort to keep the guy around, and you don't just assume that everybody can be replaced with a draft pick. You know, Leonard Williams isn't a replacement-level player. Okay? He's, he's not 
He's not just an average guy that you can say, well, even if we get a fifth rounder to play at a decent level, he'll be about where Leonard is. No. And I get it. Look, I've talked about this. I know that because he was the sixth overall pick and he was supposed to be the best player in that class, that everybody wanted 10, 15 sacks a year out of him. And in that regard, if that's what you were expecting, he has been a disappointment. But because a player doesn't meet your expectations does not mean he's not a good player. This isn't a hard thing. I don't, but I see it all the time. Leo was a wasted pick. And I've said it. Go back and look at that first round. There were like three good players in that whole first round. One of them was off the board, Brandon Scherf. It was between Leo and Todd Gurley, who, by the way, didn't he miss the last few games of the year last year with like some uh, arthritis or some career-threatening injury that he had to sit out? Like, right. They, like championship he, games and playoff games? So when all said and done – offensive coordinator – in, in the Rams that everybody raved about all year didn't have a good running game plan to have his best offensive weapon in in the most meaningful games of the year. So just put it exactly. In so when all is said and done, it may very well be that Leonard Williams was the best player in that round that was on the board when the Jets picked. And now just and because say, he's not – go ahead. Kevin White was a guy that I really thought was the deep threat guy that the Jets needed to pair up with their team that they had because they had Decker and they had Marshall. And Mm -hmm. then you bring in a guy like Kevin White that can stretch the field and you really have a dynamic, you know, three wide receiver set. Kevin White has done next to nothing for Chicago. I don't even know if he's on the team anymore. I'm not going to do the revisionist history thing. Kevin White was my pick in that spot. That's who I wanted. Thought that, and for that exact reason, because you had Decker and Marshall, and they were getting old. I thought, let him bring this guy in. They can mentor him. He can fill a role as a deep threat early on, and you you know you work him into some other roles at, at, throughout the year. And he's been terrible. And there were a lot there were a lot of mocks that had Kevin White going to the Jets. There were a lot of fans who wanted Kevin White, and then the Jets pass on him, and they get a guy who people still criticize, despite the fact that he's he's a very good player. And I, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand this mentality of this player is not a superstar, therefore he sucks, therefore we must get rid of him. Just draft somebody. You, you're going to just draft a guy who does what Leonard Williams does? And I, a, a big part of it, though, too, I mean, let, let's be realistic, Alex. A lot of this is people watch the game they follow the ball the whole time, and then the next day they might check the box score, and they don't see big numbers, and they just think the guy didn't play well. Um, how many times did I hear Quinn Williams was invisible in the national championship game before I went back and watched it and saw that he was a friggin' monster? Oh, like beating, beating double teams, forcing, forcing the quarterback out of the pocket, forcing running backs to change direction and, and, and blowing up plays and letting his teammates rack up the stats. Oh, he didn't have any sacks. Look, he was invisible. It's like he wasn't even playing. You want to draft the guy who played like crap in his biggest game ever? And then you go back and watch the game, and you're like, actually, that dude was awesome in that game. Like, he was in every game. So a lot of it is that. A lot of it is I watched the game the other day. I kept my eyes just on the ball the entire time, and then I looked at the box score after the game, and that guy didn't have any numbers, so he must not be good. Um, But – Listen, put it this way. If the Jets do trade Leonard Williams, or if Leonard Williams is if Leonard Williams hits free agency, 
The money he gets will not be the type of money you get if you are not good or if you are not very good, which is what he is. So him paired with Quinnen, I, I do, to your point, Alex, how he played well when he had Snacks and Leo or when he had Snacks and, and Mo and Sheldon, I do get the argument, you know, for people who say, if you're that good, you shouldn't need to be surrounded by superstars to play well. But he has played well on it. And listen, the, the, the Miami Dolphins just took a defensive tackle in the first round who is a year and a half younger than Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams is about to enter year five. People forget how young this dude is. He's still learning the game. He's not, he's not a, an eight- or nine-year veteran who was 24 when he was drafted. He, was, he might have been the youngest guy in that first round, if I'm not mistaken. But he's about to enter year five, and he's 24, 25 years old. I think Leonard's going to have a big year this year, but <laughs> will it be as a Jet? Or will Adam Gase look at him and say, this is another leftover from McCagnin? And, uh, you know, I want to get as many of these guys out of here as possible and try to get something for a dude who is entering his final season. So it remains to be seen. But I think that uh, I think Leo is primed for a big season. And I think the Jets would be would be foolish to move on from him at this point. But uh, a couple of other small transactions, not major news, but uh, Matt Dar free agent punter was brought in. Now, he punted four gates in Miami. And I looked at his numbers alongside Lachlan Edwards, and they were damn near identical. So, I think Lachlan Edwards is probably on the way out, too, because Adam Gase, you know, he wants to put his stamp on this team. And there was another signing, Deontay Thompson, uh, former Raven, former Bill, former Bear, and former Cowboy. So, he's been around the block. Uh, he's been in the league since 2012 and hasn't done a whole lot. His best year came in 2017 when he had 555 yards on 38 catches. And that was playing for uh, Buffalo and Chicago. So another receiver added, he, he, he's done some, he's returned some kicks, uh, return kicks in 2016 with the bears was his best season as a return man, 804 yards. And, Went on, on 35 returns. So he averaged 23 a return, 24.8 per return for his career. And I'm going to take a look. I was talking to Alex about this before the show. The Jets do have a ridiculous number of guys on the roster in uh, or who have been in that role, kick returner, punt returner. They do need one with Roberts, obviously, having departed via free agency. But my question to you, Alex, with, with all these moves. No, listen, none of them are blockbuster moves at this point. It's not like it's uh, inappropriate for the, for the coach to be making these moves, but um, it does, again, it contradicts Adam Gase's assertion that he, he doesn't have any interest in being in charge of personnel. But my question to you is that if you're – or do you believe – I guess that's the question. If you're about to start this GM search – and we'll talk a little bit about that, too, that, you know, Joe Douglas, his name keeps coming up. But do you, do you believe Adam Gase when he says that, uh, I just I just want to coach the team. I'm the coach. Whoever we bring in to replace McCagnin is going to be the guy who puts the roster together. Whereas I feel like he's saying, we're going to hire a guy who's going to have control of the roster that I'm going to build while we try to find him. Um, that, that's kind of the feel I get. So do, do you think Adam Gase truly 
is going to be a handoff coach, or do you think he wants somebody he knows well who will either be a yes man or will he or where he will have very heavy influence? Uh, I think he he's going to be the puppet master. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know if that's a good way to explain it. It may come off bad, but you, you don't want to do what Mike McCagnan did and bring in somebody that might have, have <clears throat> up his chest a little bit and be a little bit louder in meetings and kind of talk over you and, and have a little bit of alpha male because I think that's kind of what had happened here. And if he were to bring somebody in or if Woody Johnson were to bring in somebody in with different philosophies and a different football mind, then you would have more conflict than what you've had in, in only a short amount of time that this all season has been. So I think that he will get somebody that he's familiar with, that he's comfortable with, that will back his moves and say, like, this is where we need to go. We need to get, like, at least one or two of these handful of guys that I'm going to put on this list here. And now do your job and go make a decent contract and go get them to help me win. I think he will get somebody that will be fluid with the way he thinks because you don't want position battles or, or, you know, a power scheme of, you know, who's got the power. I call the shot. You don't want anybody that's going to buck the system. So I think he will get somebody that works with his narrative because we've tried it. This team's tried it many of different ways, getting the coach first and getting the GM and, you know, I mean, arranging these marriages as we we've heard throughout the years, it clearly has shown that this does not work. And if history has shown us anything that it may not work in 2019 and going into 2020, this may be a one and done year for Gates, unless if he wins 10 games and we're talking about a wild card spot and he's just played himself and this roster grows and Sam Darnold looks great. Then it will be impossible to almost let him go. So you're definitely going to need someone that, I guess, meets the criteria that I've seen, a strategic thinker, a draft guy, someone that works with personnel well, can communicate and collaborate, someone that will have his door open from his his office 24-7 and, you know, will debate in in a non-confrontational manner and say, I see your point, but, you know, this player I feel can do this, that, and the third. You're going to need someone that is going to mold into the system, and only time will tell uh, who they who they decide to bring in, and if the pairing will will be a good fit. Uh, these I'm just speculating at this point. There's a lot that can go wrong, and but there is there is a little light at the tunnel that they could figure this out, and they they could find a way to make this team produce at a level that fans haven't seen in a long time. And it's completely possible. And it's just as likely it could all blow up. So I guess, you know, hold on tight as, as we go through this process and hopefully the mindset in this front office is we got to figure out a way to win games, protect Sam Darnold, help him grow into the player that we see him to be. And, and just start dominating fo- at football. 
and, and being the team that is talked about being in the bottom of the barrel one year and makes a fantastic leap and now is in the conversation in 2020 as being a, a contending team. And how bizarre is that? You, I've seen that mentioned a few times this week uh, in a few different spots where they've kind of they've made similar comments to what you've made about could Adam Gase be fired after this season if this team doesn't perform well? And it's just even even the thought of that, of firing a head coach who's brought in to develop a franchise quarterback after one year, what that could potentially do to Sam Donald's development. But at the same time, if you feel like it's the right thing to do, especially, you know, if you kind of – Adam Gase comes with a reputation that maybe – you know, maybe ownership was willing to say, well, we'll, we'll look past it and find out for ourselves. Um, and if he quickly proves himself to be that guy, sort of hot-headed, irrational, insubordinate, whatever you want to call it, you know, screaming back at his owner. I mean, none of that stuff should matter if he's winning. None of that will matter. Um, but if you're not winning and you're, you know, I, I said when Gates was hired, and I mentioned this to you earlier, Alex, that I, I didn't love the move but I got behind it out of sheer head coach hatred fatigue. Um, and no, I don't mean as a person, Todd Bowles, I'm sure is a wonderful man. Um, but just so tired of being mad at the head coach that I thought, whoever it is next, I got to throw my support behind him. And, you know, wait till the guy gives me a reason to not like him. And when I said that, my, I meant by poorly coaching the football team and not winning games. I didn't mean by coming in and being a lunatic, but what I did say at the time, after going back and watching some of his, uh, some of Adam Gates' press conferences in Miami, he did strike me as a guy who could be a bit childish, like who who got really hostile when questioned by the media about some of his in-game decisions, almost kind of reminiscent of like the defensive teenager who comes in late with alcohol on his breath and they ask him where he's been, you know, leave me alone, get off my back. You know, that's kind of the vibe you got from Adam Gase, the, 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 the buzz teenager coming in after curfew. Um, and that's how he kind of presented himself when, when he was questioned by the media. And I thought to myself this, you know, and again, not that Gase does or should care what the media says in the papers, volatile and hostile toward them, they're going to they're gonna spin it in a way that makes him look even worse than he is, which could sort of expedite his, his exit from the Jets if there aren't results quickly. And, I mean, I'll tell you what, even though the Jets didn't do much last year, you know, we've talked about this, they blew a lot of games. Like, there was enough talent there to be better than they were last year. And they've added an all-pro left guard, a pro a pro bowl inside linebacker, an all-pro running back. Like, they've made enough upgrades that this team should at least be better. And if Adam Gase goes out and wins five or six games, I, I mean, I, I hate to think there's another coaching search next offseason. But I also think it's naive to think that it's not a possibility. So you raise a good point there. And I don't know if fans are, you know – if, if people have been seeing, you know, the speculation and, you know, it's just that it's speculation. But, but speaking of that, Joe Douglas, Alex, this is the name we keep hearing. 
Philadelphia Eagles front office. The Eagles supposedly don't want to lose him. They want to keep Joe Douglas around at all costs. Uh, but the Jets are supposedly going to target him. I did see one tweet earlier from a, a Philly beat writer who said his belief is that the, if the Jets make him an offer, he will take it, that he would like to be a GM. So what are your thoughts on the possibility of Joe Douglas? And are there any other names you're hearing that you're reading about uh, that, that intrigue you as possibilities to fill that vacancy? You know, at the moment, it's, uh, I think I've learned my lesson that this is a league that is predicated off of the right word to use here I guess to call to label them as deceivers who is the best at presenting like magicians presenting one thing in one hand and then you know making a snafu with the other because nobody wants to play their hand out and we we know from Mike McCagnan's previous uh, press conferences well, we like to keep that stuff between, um, you know, our front office. We don't like to talk about that stuff in the media, so that's how I'll answer that question. And you'll hear that 10, 15 times in a press conference. But the only thing that I've learned is that take it with a grain of salt. Even the most notable, respectable people, anything can happen. Information can be misconstrued to create one narrative and then they do the complete opposite to say, ha, fooled you. And then they'll come back to you in the, in the presser the, the next week and say, yeah, that was a week ago, which is a lifetime ago. And after that, we decided to go in a different route. That was a decision that we made. We're moving forward. Happens all the time. So, you know, is it going to be Peyton Manning? Is it going to be Joe Douglas? Are we going to bring in, I saw this this morning, Peter Schrager from uh, Good Morning Football and as a football I don't, enthusiast. I don't know what you would give him as a label. Yeah, I, I, know, you know, I saw, I saw some, some, read, some comments on that from some other beat guys. Uh, I think Connor Hughes, possibly Brian Costello, who said that the Jets like Schrager and like they wanted to talk to him about some of their broadcasts. Um, cause I saw that tweet too. And I thought, Oh Jesus, please make this end. Like this is, this, this is supposed to be a fun time, Alex. We're supposed to be excited right now. We're supposed to be like, yeah, we got Darnold, Le'Veon Bell's on board. Quincy Noon with Robbie Anderson. We got Crowder in the slot, Herndon in year two, explosive offense. That's what we should be talking about right now. Instead, we're like, is Peter Schrager going to be the GM? Like <laughs> what the hell is going on? Right. Um, it's it, it's maddening. And by the way, that was Adam Kaplan of uh, Sirius XM NFL Radio, who uh, who said that Joe Douglas would quote almost certainly leave the Eagles if the Jets offer him the GM job. So we'll we that's something that obviously all Jets fans will be keeping a very close eye on in the coming weeks. Um, hopefully not too many weeks because Adam Gates might have his whole thing torn down by then. Um, but Douglas, here's the thing with with Douglas. And it, it really it goes with any executive, Alex and I. You know, people talked about it, no matter who you hire, no matter what, un, unless the guy has been a GM, the team's draft record to me doesn't mean a whole lot. Because look, if you if you say we're gonna hire, you know, Joe Douglas or anyone, and uh, we looked at that team's history, 
and they've been a top three, you know, they've drafted five pro bowlers and three all pros and, you know, 66% of their guys make the roster and start. They're one of the most successful drafting teams in the NFL. That's great, but we don't know what the hell that guy was saying on draft day. They could have ignored everything he said. He 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 might have been against every single guy they picked. He, you know what I mean? Now, of course, that obviously isn't the case here with Douglas. Otherwise, the Eagles would be happy to let him go. But this assumption, this thing where people go, oh, we should get this guy. Look at the way that team has drafted. Well, yeah, but do we know that they were drafting, you know, of the successful picks, how many of them were recommended by him? We don't know that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's blind faith. I get it. Like I said earlier, that, that's pretty much what I've got with Adam Gase. Because, as I said, I'm tired of being mad about the head coach. But but to say that we know a guy is the right choice because of the way a team has drafted, I think that's overstating it. But when you hear as much as we've been hearing, um, and I, I say we, you know, I think that uh, the, the tweets we've been seeing from the beat writers, national, local, whatever, um, have been saying that Philly is determined to keep this guy. And what's encouraging about that is Howie Roseman didn't have Howie Roseman didn't have the uh, a lot of respect in Philadelphia up until the last couple of years, and I wonder how much Joe Douglas, Joe Douglas had to do with that. And because I I lived in the Philly area when uh, Howie Roseman was re was reinserted as the GM in Philly, and that did not go over well. People were largely they were livid with ownership because Roseman had not done a great job previously prior to Chip Kelly getting there. Um, it wasn't that bad, though. He, he did have some really good moves. But uh, but either way, um, do you think it's fair to to look at a team's draft record and and kind of let it be the, the be-all, end-all to whether or not uh, a guy should be hired away from that staff? Keeping in mind, John Edzik came from Seattle. You know, it's interesting because I wish I could find the stats on it because I remember seeing it a few years ago about how in the first round it's a borderline 50-50 shot, maybe 55-45, where the player could bust. That's in the first round. That's where you're supposed to find starters, game changers to your lineup. And then each round after that, the bust percentage gets higher and higher. And, you know, again, I wish I could find that. I would tweet that and I'd put that out there. But just take that into retrospect that it's almost a 50-50 shot right off the bat that this guy's not going to work out. So that's why you look at the upside, you look at the, the numbers, you, you, you look at the conversations, the, the, the stats from the combine or the senior bowl and, and all those things, and you go and you review the tape and then you try to make that assessment. And majority of the people claim you can't tell if the draft class is good until two or three years down the line. So these grades that we put out now are meaningless because we should be grading them four years from now because that's the only way that we'll know if it, if it really truly worked out. And some guys don't hit until they reach their second contract or their second team. I remember James Farrier was looked at as a bad draft pick. And the minute he left, guy had an amazing career with the, with the Steelers. So you just never know when, when a player is going to hit their stride or if the system that they're in doesn't meet their mold. And you try to take 
somebody that does a few good things and you try to put them in a different role and it doesn't work out, and then we blame the player for not succeeding or we blame the GM for not picking the right guy. So you can go back and forth with it. You know, I, I kind of feel that when, when you're evaluating drafts, it, it has to be looked at down the line. And, you know, maybe, you know, look at Ozzy Newsom, you know, one, one of the more greater minds in football. He's made tons of mistakes, and he, he'll admit them. But he's also gotten some really, really good players throughout the years. And one of them's on our team right now, C.J. Mosley. And he's got one of he's had one of the best safeties to come to come out of this. They get Reeves and Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs. The names go on and on. I mean, even Joe yeah, Flacco, you might laugh at him now. He won a Super Bowl for heaven's sake. And that's the thing with Newsom that people don't, you know, be, because he's so. And and this is this goes back to what I was saying earlier. You know, where is the focus? Do you focus on the negative or the positive? With Ozzie Newsom, he's got a couple rings, and people, you know. It, it, to hear people talk about Ozzy Newsom, and I know this doesn't apply to you because you just mentioned it, but you would think he never missed on a player before. You would think that everyone he drafted was fantastic. Joe Flacco, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, Joe Flacco was the 10th quarterback Ozzy Newsom drafted. 10th. People were losing their minds when, 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 when uh, Mike McCagnan was on quarterback number two. Oh, this guy can't find a court. He can't draft a quarterback. Can't evaluate quarterbacks. Um, ten. It it's a Gazi Newsom, and you know, you know, as a team that's starved for a, a championship, as the Jets are, I understand you feel like, geez, if you could just win one Super Bowl in in fifty years, I'd be happy, because that's what it would be if they were to win one anytime soon. Um, but Ozzie Newsom, two Super Bowl rings. 22 years is that is that great like you win a ring every 11 years I mean I guess it's you know when you're a Jets fan that seems great but I don't know if you, if you tell me we have this amazing GM Hall of Fame GM blah 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 and I say how long did you have him you say 22 years I'm gonna say oh what do you win four or five rings well two okay I mean Again, as a fan of a team that hasn't won one in my lifetime and may never win one in my lifetime, I understand that, you know, everything's all relative. Two Super Bowls in 22 years sounds pretty damn good if you're a Jets fan. But in the grand scheme of things, we're going to say someone's a genius and uh, they have two rings in 22 years and it took them their 10th quarterback to get one. I'm I'm kind of looking at, well, then what's the standard where a GM is an idiot when he doesn't hit on his second quarterback? And and the thing with McCagnan with the with the quarterbacks, uh, I I think for those who saw the tweet, uh, Bob was using, who who does the Jets radio game, does the Jets games on radio. He made a great point during the draft last year, and 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 he hit the nail on the head. Like if you're not, if you're a quarterback and you are not taken in the first round, you're a project, because if you're not a project. You don't last until the second round. Guys who are viewed as NFL-ready, you know, high likelihood to hit as a quarterback, you go in round one. That's the way it works. Anything else is a project. So two project quarterbacks under, this, under the previous GM, and, and, it was, and, and the sky was falling because two projects didn't work out. 
And I hear people reference Hack and Petty like they were both taken in the top three. Um, but anyway, enough of that. Moving on from moving on, you know, we talked enough about, uh, you know, McCagnan and all that. But but you raise a good point. You know, the, these drafts, are gonna, we're going to have to look back in a couple years and see if they really work out. The Nathan Shepard pick worries me. I mentioned that a few weeks ago. You know, he, he did some good things last year, but they were few and far between. I would have liked to have seen more from Barry Nickerson, more of Barry Nickerson. And Trenton Cannon's a guy who I, I would imagine, I would hope, is spending a great deal of time uh, working on fielding punts this offseason. And we'll see how that goes. But do uh, you have anything else to add, Alex? I think that can wrap it up for us this week. I think we've uh, we've covered all the major news items. We've, uh, we've, yeah, we've I offered our best guess. Is I'll, is I'll end it with, you know, just as far as the Adam Gay situation, um, let's do something that we haven't done in the past, and let's just give him a chance and just see what happens. Because at this point, you, how much more worse can it get? How many more media articles can can we almost get nauseous at when we see them? So let's just see what happens. Let's see That's- if this guy has what it takes, the offensive mind, and the game plan. Because if, if some of you um, – didn't tune into last Tuesday's show. We had Brent Poile on here. And one of the things I remember that he said is that he was very, very organized. He was direct. He was impressed with the manner in which he conducted himself and the energy that he brought to the room. And he grabbed people's attention when he spoke. And that's a difference that we've had from previous coaches throughout the last few years. So rather than reacting and letting our emotions get the best of it, us, let's just see what this guy can do. Because we know that this isn't a marriage made in heaven. And every other team gets the GM first, then the head coach. But we're doing things differently. This is the reality of our situation. And at this point, you know, let's not do what Matt Miller said and, 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 and jump the ship. That was horrible. And I'm sure everybody thinking? got a good love. <laughs> anybody that's who, been who on Twitter, that not on tweet? Twitter. Oof. You, you're, you, you consider looking. yourself somebody well, who who <laughs> covers football, and you're you telling fans, you know, hey, it's okay to jump ship. Like that's not what being a fan is. I mean, listen, times have been a lot worse than this. I mean. <laughs> This is like I said. This is this should be a time when we're all happy and excited because the young talent's there. You know the 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 previous rosters, previous look when Mike McCagnan took over, the two best two best players on his team were Nick Mangold and DeBrickishaw Ferguson. They're both in their mid thirties. Other than that, who do you have? Chris Ivory. You know uh, Calvin Pryor, Darren Walls. This, this was, you know, this GM that's coming in is inheriting some talent, and people don't want to hear that. Some people don't want to hear that. But as I mentioned before, especially on offense, how can you not be excited about what Bell, Robbie, Crowder, Herndon, Inunua, what they bring? There's a lot, a lot of guys in that group who can make some plays. So you're right, Alex. It's, I think the the worst part about right now. To be honest, as someone who does this show and who who writes for JetNation.com, 
I know that right now everyone is so, and this happens every now and then. Every now and then you get a topic that's so polarizing that fans don't want to hear about anything else. I remember during the Ryan Fitzpatrick holdout, every single thing I wrote on Jet Nation became, it didn't matter what I wrote. I wrote an article about a punt returner. And uh, the entire discussion turned into a conversation about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, everything comes back to that. Because people are so obsessed about it. Literally. I, can't, I forget who it was. Some, like, some, some young guy in camp. Might have been like, a, uh, it doesn't matter who it was. It was like two or three guys. Hey, these two or three guys, you know, good punt returners. They might be good additions on special teams. And the first comment was like, can they, as long as they don't throw interceptions at Buffalo, that was Fitzpatrick's fault. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, really? Like, like it's, we're trying to talk. I want to talk about another thing besides this stupid contract holdout. And I'm already feeling that with Gase. I'm already feeling like I want to move on. And just let the season get here. Can't get here fast enough. I mean, we usually say that, but especially this year. Like, I'm so fed up with this offseason now. And I know that anything, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's an article, whether it's, it, it's all just going to come back to Gase and Max draft record and blah, 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 blah. Like, the same two things that fans keep coming back to. So, you raise a good point. Listen, we have no choice. Gase is here. Just deal with it get behind him as, as strange and odd as he can be because he's uh, – <laughs> I don't know what to say about what, the guy. What would you rather have? Would you rather see this guy fail and be detrimental to Sam Darnold's development and growth and then have him have to go through a whole new playbook next year, a third playbook in three years, a third philosophy in his first three years? having disarray in the front office. No, we can't have that. We, this has to work. And a lot of pressure is being put on him. And, you know, I wasn't expecting us to be in this type of situation that we were, that we are in, but here we are. And we do want to see improvement this year. And now people are saying, Oh, if we don't make the playoffs. It's a failure. No, we don't need to make the playoffs this year. But what we do need to do is be, playing competitive football in the fourth quarter where we're within an arm's reach like we were in December last year going into overtime against teams, teams that we have no business competing against, going up against Aaron Rodgers, going score for score up and down the field. That's what we need. I feel, I feel like we I should watch that game every day, Alex. This year. I feel like I should watch that game every day to cheer myself up. That's it. Win-loss, that, that Sam Donald was fantastic in that game. That's what we need to thrive on. That's what we need to focus on right now, in my opinion. And if you want to just run yourself ragged and do what you got to do, teach his own. But, you know, I want to see this team make strides this year. Hopefully within the next few weeks they figure out the front office. Maybe we get a couple bodies in for competition. Hopefully there's no more crazy drastic moves. That, that make me want to, you know, bite my phone in half. But if it happens, we'll deal with it, and we'll move forward. But at this point, and on that I'm, note, I'm on board. I'm not going anywhere. And let's go Jets at this point. What yeah. else can we do, right? <laughs> on, on that note, uh, crazy moves, for those of you wondering. Uh, if traded, Le'Veon Bell's cap hit is $27 million, for those of you who are asking. Oh, my. Good um, 
<laughs> but that is it, Thanks Alex. Lot, hopefully nothing. Hopefully nothing <laughs> crazy. I think wasn't that nuts? Oh, that would make sense. They should trade him. Twenty-seven million dollars cap your hit. Basement, dude. Good lord! Be, come on. That's it. And then there was someone else like, yeah, this would be good. Someone else piling on. This would make sense. The <sighs> Jets should do this. Anyway. And then I love how the them. rumors start that they're they're taking their answer in phone calls. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Lunatics are abound, Alex. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Go ahead and give out your Twitter handle, and we will wrap this thing up. All right, Jets fans. Thanks for coming by. You can follow me at NYJetsLife24. That's at NYJetsLife24. Have a good evening, Jet Nation. Thanks for coming by. All right, folks, I'm Glenn Naughton at AceFan23, which I believe it's going to say in the outro, which uh, we will be getting Alex added to the intro that is in progress. Have a great night. We will catch you next week, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets!